You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today we're joined by a very special guest, basketball news contributor, Matt Issa. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing really good. Um, uh, we were talking a little bit um, pre-game, and I'm just really juiced up to talk some San Antonio Spurs basketball. Yeah, we're both excited to talk Spurs basketball with you. We really look forward to getting an outside perspective, unbiased perspective on some of these players on this team that we cover day in and day out. But just so our listeners know, we are going to be recording this podcast on Friday the 4th, and it looks like it's about 1.04 p.m., Central Time. So we've got a smorgasbord of topics to cover today, but the main reason we brought Matt aboard for this episode, again, it's for his unbiased perspective on DeJounte Murray as an outsider who covers the entire league, not just one team. So Matt, you wrote an article on Basketball News titled Making the NBA All-Star Case for DeJounte Murray last week, and I highly suggest everybody check that out, but what is the argument for and against San Antonio's breakout guard getting his first All-Star nod as an injury replacement after he missed out on being named as a reserve last night? Yeah, um, full transparency here. We did uh, we did our all-star selections for basketball news earlier this week, and I actually had him as my injury replacement for Draymond. So I feel like pretty, I wouldn't say confident, because I mean, I don't know. I don't know the people making the decisions, so I can't speak for them. But I feel like he will end up getting his first ever all-star nod, which is like really cool for him. You know, you're happy for the man and his family. But um, so for, I talk about a lot in my article, the the passing which I'm going to like kind of uh uh criticize in a second when I talk about the against <laughs> but the passing the passes he does like know how to make he makes really well I'm sure you guys have seen him make a thousand pocket passes to Jakob uh, uh, on a little three to ten foot range and he'll hit like a little push shot but that's like that's money they're two man game the way that both of them really elevate that offense that that goes without saying. On defense, he's like an attack dog. Uh, any loose ball is his. And the cool thing about him is a lot of his steals are like the pick six variety. And he doesn't gamble that much, at least from what I saw. I haven't watched every Spurs game. I've watched uh, maybe like 15, 20% of the games. But and what I've seen, like he's not compromising the defense by playing the way he does. And um, that's another thing. I've noticed he's taken on a different role defensively in that he's no longer kind of, okay, this is their best perimeter player. We're going to throw you at him for 35 minutes, and I want you to, like, mess with him. It's more, okay, we have, like, Derek White, who we trust to get in people's grill. Why don't you play a little bit more free safety and use that long wingspan and kind of, um, you know, collect the steals? And then the mid-range game, which I think will make the Spurs. I know we were talking about the they're projected to miss the playoffs right now, but if they do find their way in the playoffs, that'll make them a really feisty team for – whoever they end up playing at, like the number one seed or the number two seed, depending on where they fall within the play and stuff, if they get there. Because his mid-range, and the team in general is a really good mid-range shooting team, which bodes well for the playoffs because like teams are trying to make you take more mid-range shots. So if they're hitting those, it'll be definitely a wrench in their plans. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think he has a good case to make the game. I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people would just point at the numbers. Basically, like a 19-9-9 guy, triple-double threat every night, I think to some degree that's probably a little bit overrated like it's inflated by pace inflated by the amount of touches that he gets but like the production regardless is is very very impressive from DeJounte one of the things that I did want to talk to you about here that you mentioned was the mid-range game and and Dame I don't know if you feel the same way but watching DeJounte Murray go to work in the mid-range it feels like that's his bread and butter right he loves to get to his spots he can get to his spots he can get that shot off of against pretty much any guard who they put on him but it doesn't quite feel like he's part of the elite group of mid-range shooters quite yet. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I looked at them the other day. I think he makes his mid-range shots at about 41% or so. And he's also like the fifth or sixth highest volume mid-range shooter in the NBA. And you look at the other guys there and you know they're closer to 50%, 48%, 49%. Do you consider him an elite mid-range shooter? Because I feel like if that's your bread and butter, but you don't get to the free throw line, and you're making pretty basic reads, how, how much can you like really bend to defense, I guess? So I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on that, but Dame, what, what were your opinions on him? I mean, I know we've talked about him all season. 
Yeah, no, and, and I, I think, I, I wouldn't know if I'd say elite mid-range score, but he's definitely comfortable, and he's definitely very confident from that area, from that range. I think for me, overall, the shooting does need work. Um, just kind of, whether it's a three-point shot, uh, pull-up shooting numbers, because, you know, his numbers as a pull-up shooter, especially from three, are, you know, kind of down there. Uh, even as a, you know, EFG percentage is kind of down there as well from pull-up, uh, you know, as a pull-up shooter. So I think in general, the shooting needs work. Specifically, the mid-range stuff, yeah, he's he's a high-volume mid-range scorer. Uh, he is, you know, he does make them, but I wouldn't say he's elite just yet. I remember back when DeMar was here, a lot of people would say, DeMar's not an elite mid-range uh, scorer. He just shoots a lot of them. I think DeJounte's kind of more of that mold, which is kind of funny now that we're kind of here. But, yeah, I think in general, the shooting the, the shooting right now, he's definitely improved, you know, a, a lot. But right now, I wouldn't say he's technically elite at any area of the floor when he shoots when he's shooting the rock. Yeah, Matt, what, what is your opinion on that? I mean, I know we just talked about his mid-range game, but... I mean, what does he have to do, I guess, to get himself into that area? Do you consider him an elite mid-range shooter? It's fine if you do. I'd, I'd love to hear the case for that as well. I mean, elite, I guess, is like, what's your what's your cutoff? Like, top five, top three. But I, I get what you're saying, though. There's definitely, like, a top echelon of guys. Like, and I know we're thinking about, like, thinking about Mitchell, thinking about DeRozan, thinking about Devin Booker, thinking about Trey Young. And then there's the next um, level. And right now, he's, his percentages, I believe, are right on par with Bradley Beal. Which isn't saying much because Bradley Beal's having a down year, but he's like a guy who's known to give drop coverage a hard time. But it's interesting you mentioned the uh, bending the defense portion because that is one of my against kind of arguments for DeJounte Murray because despite him having that high usage, despite him commanding so much of the touches offensively, he does not bend the defense in the way you would think. Like, like I said about the passing, he makes like really good reads and pocket passes and he can kick it out to three pointers. And the nine assist thing is interesting because I feel like he definitely gets like one or two at least Rondo assists a game. <laughs> and that that's a thing where you're laughing. But I mean, it's true. Like there's just a couple where he's, okay, dribble, dribble, dribble. We got like four or five seconds left in the shot clock here. Here's Doug McDermott. And there's like a little bit of space for him. And Doug's a great shooter. He'll hit it, whatever. And that's fine. But um, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, does he make skip passes? Because I watched um, 10 Spurs games when I was studying him and I didn't see a single one. No, not mm -hmm. not very often. He did the other day. I forget what was the game he was playing against Golden State. He made one from uh, right above the break on the right side of the court to the left corner, and Trey Jones missed the three, which you yeah. know, like, Trey Jones never shoots threes anyways. He's not a very good three-point shooter. But that was one of the rare instances that really stood out to me because it so seldom happens that when it does, you're like, oh, my God, he just, he just did that. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because he has – like one of the things with the skip passes you need to – People don't really talk about this much, but you need to have like bigger hands, stronger hands to make it because you have to have control of the ball well enough to be able to take it across your body like that. And he has like big, strong hands, but he he doesn't make it. And I wonder because it's there. It's there a lot when they run that pick and roll. So I always wondered about that. I wonder if it was just something like I didn't pick the right sample size or because I was watching Chris Duarte for something else I was working on for basketball news. And he's like not like a good passer. He's like, OK, passer, but like. He makes that pass like, you know, once every few games. So that's that's a like a not like a major red flag, but it is a red flag of the argument. And also he doesn't a lot of assists aren't like layup assists. Part, part of that is because I feel like, you know, they don't really have like a rim runner per se or like a lob guy. So maybe that's why maybe in a different context, he would rack up more of those. But those like little lapses in his vision. And then on defense, he's still like a top tier defensive player, but he's not like you know, what was he, first team all defense uh, a couple of years back? I think he was second team all defense yeah. in his second year. He was like the youngest all defensive team member in NBA history at the time. And, and of course, he had the ACL injury since then, and they've changed his defensive role a little bit. So I don't know if he's as impactful as he was. But I mean, sh I mean, you mentioned, I mean, he's basically like a free safety out there. He picks the ball off. He's really good in transition. But yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying. Which is really valuable. But if you're if your like whole argument is like, OK, so say Draymond was healthy, right? And we were arguing him for one of the 12 spots. It's like between him and Devin Booker. And your argument is, okay, Devin Booker's, Booker's like this offensive juggernaut, but uh, DeJounte Murray's a two-way guy. And if that's your argument for him, well, DeJounte's a step back from like peak defensive DeJounte, you know? Like I would argue maybe Derek Murray, excuse me, Derek White is a better defender this season between the two of them. And that's no knock on DeJounte. They've both been incredible. But like there's that step back. And then the rebounding thing, I don't get think I don't think it's talked about enough. I don't think he's a good defensive rebounder at all, and I know that's crazy to say because he's a guard who averages nine rebounds per game. But I think a lot of his rebounds just come from 
whoever, whether it's Hurdle or um, I can't pronounce uh, the rookie's last name, but um, one of them boxing out really well and DeJounte Murray getting it. I was actually, at the time I was doing my article, I checked and out of qualifying players, so players who played like, I don't know, 20 games or 500 minutes, I forget how I uh, factored it out in NBA.com, but um, he was last in uh, contested defensive rebounding percentage, which is like a really good indicator of defensive rebounding prowess. So I think that's a little bit overblown as well. Yeah, yeah, no. And the thing is, is this is something that me and Noah have talked about before on the show. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing because in every sport, like I've mentioned with Noah, um, they manufacture touches, touches for their best player. They, they manufacture ways to get their best player the ball. So it's not. So we're not saying that you know he's an overrated player or anything like that. But a lot of what he does right now is just a product of the offense. It's a product of what the Spurs want. So like when it comes like the rebound, oh, nine rebounds, nine assists. I mean, I, I enjoy it, right? I mean, it's definitely there, but this is not, you know, all assists are not created equal. All, you know, stat lines aren't created equal. This is not a Chris Paul 17, 9, and 5 we're watching on a nightly basis. I think a lot of time this is just kind of a product of the usage and what the Spurs want to do. Uh, but I agree with, with you wholeheartedly. Um, I like that you said Derek Murray because if they were combined as a defensive player, that would be insane. <laughs> the perfect, uh, but, perfect perimeter yeah. player. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to kick it to Noah real quick right before we get into the next part about the you know about some other floor generals because that's a conversation I really want to have, and I especially when you mentioned the skip pass because there's one guy I want to talk about that doesn't get a lot of love, but uh, kick it to Noah right here. Yeah, and I'd like to take it back to his his playmaking because it's interesting that you said you know he's not like a super dynamic passer. He's not making like these incredible reads that, like leave your jaw on the and and not everything is like flashy. It doesn't have to be you know, like a Trey Young assist. Doesn't have to be like a Luka Doncic you know kind of passing. He's very conservative. But I was interested. I you know I'm subscribed to B Ball Index. I was just curious. They have a you know a scale of pass creation quality and pass creation volume. And you look at the volume, and he's pretty much as far right as you can go on the scale with guys like James Harden, guys like Trey Young, guys like Chris Paul, you know, th- those kind of guys. And then you look at the quality, and they have it graded from negative one to three. And he's right about one, which is on the same level that they have, you know, Rudy Gobert, um, Alec Burks. And then you look at everyone else who's that far on the scale of, of volume, and their quality is way up there you know like Trey Young is way up there LaMelo Ball is way up there Darius Garland is way up there I mean it it, it makes me wonder because I know I've said this a few times and I've gotten a lot of pushback from Spurs fans but I don't think it necessarily is a bad thing that he's not a super dynamic playmaker but I think it's something that's probably undeniable and it's fine that he's you know like a I guess a game manager if you want to put it in like quarterback terms you know a game manager he does what's asked of him He's not going to throw those kind of passes that lead to interceptions or steals or whatever. He's just going to play it safe, and that's fine. I think that's fine for this team. But when I, I, th- I think the last question I want to hit on here is, you know, can, can he be, like, the guy? Is he the guy? Because I know a lot of fans want him to be the guy. But for me, he can be one of the, the building blocks, one of them. But he cannot be, like, the foundational piece that you build everything upon, right? I mean – I, I need your opinion on that for sure. So I try like, I try really hard to be positive, like in all my analysis, like positive because in like a reasonable sense, obviously I'm not going to tell you like, okay, you know, every player is as good as LeBron James because what's the point of doing this, right? <laughs> but cause, but I try to because I understand my own athletic limitations. So you got to take it into perspective <laughs> and stuff. But, um, <laughs> no, I know, I know this is like later on in the outline. I don't want to mess up your guys' uh, plans and stuff, but like, I don't like long term. I couldn't see a team where Dejounte Murray's like the offensive engine, and part of it's because he doesn't offer much value off ball. Like I was looking at some of his cutting numbers, and I watch him. He doesn't really cut very often. He's not a he's not a good catch and shoot shooter. He's okay. He's serviceable. Um, so if he's not making these defensive like defense bending passes, advantage creating passes. It's hard to like envision an offense with him as one of your, you know, one, two, three best players that's like elite. But I could see like a team that you build where it's like a, a fun, like a really fun team that everyone loves that ends up being like the sixth seed. And DeJounte Murray's like, he's like, a, he gives me like floor raiser profile. You know what I mean? He can handle that high volume. He, he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. He's really smart. He gets out in transition. He makes plays. But I can't see him being you know, uh, a Trey Young where he's engineering this incredible offensive machine or uh, Donovan Mitchell, what he's doing in Utah, things of that nature. 
Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and, and Dame, I know the first question that we sort of posed here was, you know, does he deserve to be that injury replacement all-star? I know Matt said yes for Draymond. I would also go yes if, if we're going to replace Draymond. Are you in the same boat there? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. And right before we uh, switch topics, as far as like the engine of the, of the offense and kind of that first option, I think Matt made some great points. You made some great points as well. One thing as well is that, he seems to be really, you know, it's it's really ball dominant when it comes to DeJounte Murray. He needs to have the ball in his hand to be effective. But he's still really limited right now as a player, I'd say, offensively. So unless he takes a really big step forward, especially as a shooter, like I said, the pull-up shooting stuff, Matt's mentioned some of the passing stuff, I think this is kind of, I mean, I hate to kind of sound like this, but this kind of might be peak DeJounte in a sense of, like, in a role like this, this is kind of the best you're going to get. I don't know if he can be an effective, like, 21 or 22, 23, 9 and 9 kind of guy. I would love to hear y'all's opinion on that. But I think right now this is probably a role that I I would see like this is the best we'll get from him with the ball in his hand as much as he has it as the number one guy. I don't know what kind of player would fit next to him because like imagine if you got, you know, a player that's better than him that also needs the ball in their hands. It's kind of tough, right? I don't I don't know. I think his overall play style is kind of tough to mesh with, especially because he is limited and when he has the ball in his hands this much you're not getting that same impact as like a Trey or a Luca or something like that too. Not to say that he can't be those players, but I wouldn't bet on it. I would love to hear y'all's opinions on that too. You guys are going to laugh at me because, you know, you're Spurs fans. <laughs> and I'm sure you've had similar um, similar conversations in the past about a former Spurs guard and DeMar DeRozan. And you probably, maybe not you too, but I'm sure like Spurs media has said, okay, this is the best we're going to see from DeMar DeRozan. You know, he's he's a great mid-range shooter. He's become this really good passer. He puts up beautiful numbers. But, like, this is the best an offense can get with DeMar DeRozan. And then he met Zach Levine, who is, <laughs> to me, he's, like, the guy. You can put him with anybody in the NBA. The way he plays off ball, the way he cuts, the way he catches, he can shoot off movement. He can be a lob catcher. He's a transition dynamite. Like, he's everything you want when you have a ball-dominant guard to put next to him. And I think if, like, DeJounte Murray found his own Zach Levine – like that would augment his value immensely. Again, I don't think you would ever have a top five offense with DeJounte Murray as your starting point guard, but that's probably the best version of a DeJounte Murray team is where he gets this off-ball, on-ball hybrid guard who can, in spots, take over for him, but a majority of the time play off of him and help him out that way. Looking at, and you talked about, are we ever going to get a peak DeJounte that's like 23-9-9? I think... We kind of saw that in January, right? I mean, he was nominated for Western Conference Player of the Month. He didn't win. Nikola Jokic won, and that was rightfully so. Nikola Jokic has been amazing all year. But he had, you know, 22.9 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game, 9.9 assists per game. And the Spurs still went 5-12 and 12 in January. And I think if we're asking, like, is this the best DeJounte can get? Um, I probably would lean toward what Matt says. I think you probably got to have a better context for him, better supporting cast, probably a better co-star than Derek White because, like, Derek White's probably the second best player on this team. Maybe Jakob Pertl. Jakob is. But I think for, for this, uh, for at least for this context, for this team, I think this is as good as it gets. You know, like the 23, 9, and 9 for a month. I think that's peak DeJounte for this team. But, but Dame, I'll go ahead and let you move things along. So what are we? what's up next on the docket here? Yeah, so DeJounte, as you just mentioned, you know, he, he's averaging um, 19.4 uh, 19 points, 8.4 rebounds, 9.1 assists, uh, and a league-leading 2.0 steals per game. And I think it's fair to say that he's established himself as a top-10 point guard in the NBA. So, you know, where does he stack up in comparison to the other up-and-coming playmakers in the league? And just overall, you know, what young floor generals, uh, if any, would you take over DeJounte Murray if you had to start from scratch tomorrow? And uh, we'll uh, start it off with Matt right here. Yeah, so I made a list of young – again – this is kind of like the elite thing. Like, what do you define as young, but like relatively young floor generals? I had Darius. This is in no order, by the way. So please, first. <laughs> Darius Garland, uh, Luka Doncic, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Fred Van Fleet, uh, Cade Cunningham, Lamelo Ball, Trey Young, Ben Simmons, <laughs> and uh, I had Therese Halliburton as well. Okay, I, I wanted to ask you a question about specific. I guess specifically about Ben Simmons because I know the fact that you even mentioned his name. Spurs fans are gonna automatically go to the keyboards. They're gonna be upset. But I, I want to give you a chance to at least explain that because I think at least for me right now, I would probably have them somewhat neck and neck. I think Ben is probably a more dynamic playmaker, uh, and I think also on the defensive end, clearly you know he can guard more positions. He finished second in Defensive Player of the Year voting a year ago. So like. I think he's a better, more impactful defender 
than DeJounte is mostly because he's bigger. Like, he just has more size. There's more utility, more versatility there. But I want you to be able to explain your position so that Spurs fans just don't go, this guy's crazy. Yeah, so part of the reason, I'm not going to lie, part of the reason I put Ben Simmons on this list is because one of the things I didn't get to include in my article was a realization I had, and that is, like, as passers, they're very, very, very similar. Where Ben Simmons is... Again, he's not going to make the the corner skip, and part of that's because like defenders in the pick and roll coverage don't really respect his jump shot. Maybe that's the case with Murray. Uh, he's a really accurate passer. The passers he knows how to make makes them very well, and he's like a machine at generating three point attempts for his teammates. He also might be guilty of the Rondo assist thing, <laughs> but um. So passing wise, their profile is very similar. Simmons does get to the rim a lot more, and the free throw thing, which we haven't really talked about yet, is much in favor of Simmons over Murray. With Murray, by the way, like, please, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I know we're kind of deviating, but it seems like his drives to the rim are really, like, contact evasive. Like, he wants to use his length to kind of elongate himself past people as opposed to, hey, you know, I'm going to bang with you, maybe maybe draw some contact, get free throws, and maybe that's why his free throw rates are so low. Noah, that's Noah said that. How many times have you said that, Noah? How many times yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah. that's kind of been a common theme for DeJounte. Yeah. Not even like just yeah. DeJounte. I don't want to pick on yeah. DeJounte. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's been a common theme among like most of the players on this roster. If your name isn't Keldon Johnson or you're not Yaka Pirtle and they're intentionally sending you to the line, like most of these guys from Lonnie he's Walker, awful. Devin Vassell. Oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah, he's, he's awful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, DeJounte, like when they're getting to the rim, and DeJounte Murray has got to the rim at a really high rate this year. I think he's like fourth in the league in drives per game. He's like fifth at – at the rim attempts among point guards this year, but like he doesn't really embrace the contact and you're right. Like you pretty much laid it out perfectly there. He uses his length. He's not leaning into guys, but he's done a better job recently. And I, I do want to give him credit for that. I found the numbers somewhere earlier today, but over his last six games, he's getting to the line almost six times per game. So, I mean, that's a good step in the right direction, but it's the same thing that I say with like when Derek white was in the NBA bubble, Right. Like, there was a six-game sample size where Derek White was maybe one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA at the time, right? He was taking eight three-pointers per game, making them at 42.5%. He was knocking them down off the dribble, catch and shoot, you name it. And then, you know, he comes back down to earth. He's injured. He comes back down the next season, and he's just, like, average. And now this year, he's not very good from three. And so, like, when I look at DeJounte, it's like, okay, that's a step in the right direction, but is it just, like, a, a really nice small sample size? Like, can he continue that? Because I have seen a concerted effort from him to try to absorb contact. Like, he's leaning into guys, he's trying to get the contact, but, you know, is, is that going to continue for the rest of the season? I think if he can do that and he can and make that a thing going forward in his career, like, he becomes more valuable. But I don't know if it's going to be consistent. Yeah, and that was a big thing with DeRozan, and that's how he finally got his true shooting above league average, was getting to the line more. But, um, no, that's all, all beautiful. I'm glad, like, we're on the same wavelength with that. But now... I realized I forgot about the Simmons thing. So back to the Simmons thing. Now, I mentioned offensively the similar profiles passing and then the free throw shooting. But then defensively, like, I think, like, there's a disconnect, like, in, like, the idea of DeJounte Murray and, like, what actually happens on the court. Like, I noticed, and maybe you guys noticed this too, but, like, the broadcast likes to point out, oh, the Spurs like to put DeJounte on bigger guys sometimes. They trust him to handle big men. But the thing is, every time they do that, like, the big man ends up scoring or he gets fouled by DeJounte. It's not like DeJounte is, like, sturdy and strong. Whereas with Ben Simmons, if they move him to a big man, he's fine. He's strong enough to do that. And then if it's like he's guarding a guard, like he swallows that guard, like literally swallows him. His wingspan is enormous. But um, is that is that like an accurate observation? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I yeah, think I it is. So. Right? I mean, Damo, what yeah, is your yeah, opinion? Yeah. I mean, Simmons is, is definitely more versatile than DeJounte. And I, I would agree, too. I don't know how much, how much stock I put into – yeah, the Spurs want DeJounte guarding people that are much bigger than him and stronger than him. I don't know how much stock I put into that personally. But, uh, no, I, I would agree. Ben Simmons, yeah, there's there's a disconnect there, and I think Ben Simmons is definitely more versatile. I think he's a better defensive player, too. I don't think it's particularly close, but, uh, no, I'd like to hear what you got what you got to say on that, too. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you brought that up because I went ahead and looked at, like, players who have guarded at least 400 shots this year, contested at least 400 shots, and... Out of all those players, DeJounte is fifth worst in terms of his like defensive field goal percentage. So I think sometimes like the the, the, the playmaking and, and when I talk about playmaking, I'm sure you know what I mean. Like coming up with a deflection or coming away with a steal or, or like a block, like people remember those because they're big plays. And for DeJounte, like you mentioned, it's like the pick six. You go all the way other way, you steal the ball, you get a layup, you know, it's it's a big play, the, the crowd goes crazy. But I think sometimes like even him and Derek to a certain degree, like their defense can get overrated because more so with 
with DeJounte than Derek, but like you mentioned, I mean, he gets put on somebody who's a little bit bigger and it's pretty much an automatic bucket. Like I know I said it was the fifth worst in the NBA in terms of guys who've guarded, you know, like at least 400 shots, but that's up there with guys like Buddy Hild, Anthony Simons, Trey Young. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't offer any resistance, but at times I feel like we overrate what he does. No, it's like funny because you'll hear like uh, not to pick on broadcasters because like, you know, they get to do this for a living. So they're, they're cooler than me by design, <laughs> but um, like they'll call it out. Like it'll be away broadcasters, not the Spurs broadcast. They'll say, yeah, you know, pop loves to switch DeJounte on these bigger guys and let him guard him. I'm like, first of all, there's no way you actually know that for a fact. Cause I know you don't watch enough Spurs basketball to tell me that. <laughs> and like second, it's like, it's just not happening. There's, there's a huge disconnect there. Wait, yeah, that's an interesting stat. I didn't I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's sort of a sort of a weird like thing that I, I didn't really think of it. Like I I've watched it a little bit and gone like, is is he like easier to score on than I, I thought he was? And I think in some ways yes, but I also think in Dame I I'd love to get your opinion on this too, because I don't know if this is like there's no quick fix for anything in the NBA, but it feels like the Spurs really need a guy like a Rudy Gay sized guy. I know that they just let Rudy Gay go and like <laughs> they probably don't want him yeah. back, but they need like a big wing or like yeah. a you know like a versatile forward and they yep. don't really have that, right? I mean, what yeah. do you feel about that? We so me and you have talked about this too how important it is especially with this team but in general, if you're going to be built like the Spurs, you need to have a versatile 3, a versatile 4, one of those big guys who can really that are just they're switchable, they're versatile defensively. Offensively, they may not need the ball as much, but like Ideally, I would think of like that fits the timeline as like a PJ Washington kind of player, but I think in general, yeah, they just really need help at the three and four, I, and that's why I mean not to even to kick it to draft stuff because we can go on and on about this, but it's like they really need that that big four, that versatile four, or so, even someone at the three, or maybe they need to tinker with the lineup a little bit because right now this team it, it it's it's really really interesting the way this team is built. You know, you wouldn't have expected this team to be, you know, struggle this much defensively, and especially with just kind of how this team has been, you know, been this year. I think that three and four spot, especially, man, they they need a, a fix and a, an answer very, very quickly. Even if they get, you know, not to bring him into this, but even if they get like hypothetically like a John Collins player too, I would love for them to add someone at the three, an, another kind of big player. And me and Noah have talked about this too, how much I love the way the Cavs have built their starting lineup. So. Uh, that's just my position on it, but we got to make sure we get back to the young floor generals part. So uh, go ahead, Matt and Noah, and then we got to make sure we we touch on this. Um, okay, I'm gonna save my thought about the way you said about the defense then, but yeah. So I, I mean, what were your guys' uh, young floor generals? I think I probably would go with like that same group of players that you listed. I mean, just the first ones that kind of come to mind: Donovan Mitchell, Lamelo Ball. I really like Darius Garland. Cade Cunningham was like one of my favorite guys coming out of the draft last year. Like I thought he probably you know, isn't in an ideal situation in Detroit. I mean, like it's, you, you can look at his numbers and I think a lot of Spurs fans and it's fine. Like most NBA fans are casual fans. They're only paying attention to their own team. But like, I don't think you can cite Cade Cunningham right now in his rookie season in a poor context as well. You know, I would want DeJounte over Cade because look at those numbers and look at his, like, I don't think that's fair. And then, you know, I don't know young, young floor generals again, like that's, sort of a, a tough thing to, you know, where does it start, where does it end? But I think the list that you provided us was, was like a pretty good list of players who I think every single one of them I would probably take with the exception of Tyrese Halliburton. I'm still not 100% sold on him, but I could be, you know, I could be convinced into it probably. Just a quick thing. I was on the fence there with Halliburton, and then uh, Jackson Frank wrote something over at the analyst about him, and I'm like, you know what, I'm sold. That's it. Like, he's there. He's there. I'd definitely take him over Fox. Yeah, I think for me, when it was talking, when we were talking about young, I was kind of thinking about players that are just around Dejounte's age. I think I would just consider that quote unquote young, just to kind of compare them. I think one guy that doesn't get a lot of credit, although I wouldn't take him over Dejounte per se, but one guy that I really really like, especially as a playmaker, is D'Angelo Russell. I think he's really really good, really really gifted. Um, we were talking about the skip pass earlier. That man can make every pass in the book, in my opinion. Uh, he's Patrick Mahomes with the rock. I mean, I I I like D'Angelo Russell a lot. Sorry, Gildas Alexander, another guy I really, really like. I maybe would take him over DeJounte. I think Oklahoma City isn't even an NBA team right now. And I don't know how many guards at his age, DeJounte's age, whatever, would do better than what he's doing with that situation right now. And then we got to show love to LaMelo Ball. LaMelo's fantastic, man. I mean, him and DeJounte are, are, are you know, dang near averaging the same, you know, statistical line. And I think LaMelo is, is, is right there on that star kind of level right there. He's... He's getting close to it, so that's me personally. But 
I'm a really big D'Angelo Russell guy, uh, so maybe some Spurs fans are upset with me, but it is what it is. Yeah, I probably wouldn't take uh, D'Lo. Um, you know, he's not a very good defender. He hasn't been super efficient on offense. I mean, I, I've granted, like, he takes a ton of threes, so that probably brings down his field goal percentage. I don't think he's that efficient around the rim. I haven't watched enough Timberwolves basketball, which I wish I would because I really like their team. I like Jalen McDaniels. I really like Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony. Like, they have a lot of fun players, but no. Wouldn't wouldn't take D'Lo probably, but like other yeah, than that, I think I can respect that yeah. list. I can respect yeah. that list aside from that for sure. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, I wouldn't take D'Lo over Dejounte, but I think as a passer, that's like he's just someone that I just respect so much because I think he's just so gifted. Matt, I'm sorry, I know this is first pod, and I'm talking about D'Lo over here, man. I'm sorry about that, but you know I had to show him love, <laughs> man. <laughs> the Shea one is interesting to me. I had Shea on my short list of guys. I guess you kind of touched it, but no one, do you agree with him about the Shea one? I really like Shea. I think he's another one of those players who's in a really poor context where, I mean, not every single player he's playing with isn't an NBA player. I mean, I like Lou Dort. He's fine, but he's playing probably not an ideal role. Like, he shouldn't be the second leading scorer on any team. Uh, Josh Giddy is, is really fun in flashes, but, like, I don't think he's – like, he's, he hasn't actually, like, realized the, the best version of himself, which is fine. He's a rookie. And, and like, the rest of the team, I mean, Mike Muscala is fine. Um, but it's just like looking at a guy like Darius Baisley, Pokashevsky, Diakite. I mean, like there's a lot of guys on that team who I think some of them are fine. Like Jerem- Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think is going to be a really nice pro. But for for like everything they have right now, it doesn't really fit together. And so I look at his shooting and yeah, it's like way down from a year ago. But I also think he's doing a lot. Like he's trying to do a lot while also seeding touches to Josh Giddy to let him get, you know, an opportunity to run the offense as well. And I think that's tough for a guy who I guess for the last couple of years has sort of been the guy. And so I like him a lot. I think he's a really dynamic playmaker. He gets to the rim like nobody's business. I think he's a better three point shooter than he's shown, but yeah, I mean, you you could, uh, you could easily convince me that, you know, DeJounte Murray is, is more worthy than, than Shea Gilgis Alexander to build around. But I like Shea more. I just feel like in a better context, he would, he could easily be such a better player. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I was like, they're neck and neck for me. But um, just the one thing that was kind of interesting to me is like, you know, Shea last year was shooting the like the the, the nylon out of the basketball, you know, what I mean, out of the nets, you know what I mean? He was shooting incredibly. He's gone back down to earth. And I'm just wondering, like, would Dejounte look like that if he went on a heater like that? Because I mean, I feel like that is like reasonable to think, like, okay, maybe one year Dejounte just gets hot and he starts shooting the ball like Shea, and we're like, holy shit, this guy's better than Shea. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's why that's why I didn't have him is like definitively better they're on they're on the same tier for me yeah that's interesting um I guess I don't know I've always been like really enamored by Shea since he his first season that he played with the Clippers to that season that he got to be under Chris Paul sort of learn the ropes from him and like you're right last year I think he was like a 50 40 82 guy like those were his splits looked really really good and then this season is really tapered off but I look at what he's able to do in terms of like he's just got a lot of shake to his game and like a more dynamic dribble package and he gets to the to the rim more often. He gets to the free throw line more often. Like, I just see more star qualities, and maybe that's like a fault of mine. I really do like flashy players, but um, like I just see more star qualities in someone like Shea Gilgis Alexander than like somebody like Dejounte Murray. And it's not that he's not an all star. Like obviously we talked about, it. he should be an all star replacement. But I mean, for me, Shea's a little bit ahead. But again, like I wouldn't be mad if somebody said, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking Dejounte over Shea. Like. I think DeJounte has earned that right this year with how well he's played given the circumstances. So one guy like loves the hell out of D'Lo and one guy loves the hell out of Shea. Well, <laughs> b- one guy loves uh, uh, loves all of them. I'm not going to lie to you. I love I love D'Lo, I love Shea, LaMelo, all of them. And not only that too, I'm a sucker for I'm a sucker for players that like really know how to play with pace. So that's why like I like D'Lo, I like SGA. I'm hoping Josh Primo can kind of master that too, you know, Canadian guard maybe. He said he look, looks up to SGA. You know, I I really like that so yeah, that's just it is what it is, man. That's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, and I feel like we we've talked quite a bit about Dejounte. I, I think we all really like him. We think he's deserving of that All Star replacement. I hope he gets it. I was, I mean, I was so disappointed last night. I tuned into TNT. They switched the Spurs game time, so I had him like at the same time, really hoping he got it, and he didn't. But it was cool to see Draymond say like, "Hey, he deserves it." I think we all think he deserves it. But I want to talk about the rest of San Antonio's young players because you love to watch film. You love to watch all these players in the NBA. You watch all you know every team. So. They have, I mean, they have a collection of talent that they've built through the draft, homegrown. That's sort of been the tradition. You know, Lonnie Walker, Trey Jones, Joe Wieskamp, Josh Primo, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson. 
what do you, what have you seen from them? I guess who who like mo- excites you most when you think of the Spurs and can any of those guys? I mean, really, I know this is a question we ask on this podcast a lot, but can any of those guys elevate themselves to one of those statuses where you know you can build around this guy? Um, we talked about this before the show, but like, I feel like the Spurs have so many like fun pieces. You know what I mean? Like they remind me like the Raptors a little bit, not not at all schematically or anything like that, but like. Just that, like, okay, like, the Raptors have, you know, OG on Anubi. Everybody loves OG. Everybody loves Scotty Barnes. Everybody loves uh, Gary Trent Jr., you know what I mean? And over here, it's like, oh, Derek White is this, like, tertiary playmaking wizard, and he also defends really well. And then you got Jakob Pertl, who's, like, this rim-protecting stud, who, by the way, please, Spurs, do not trade him. He is, like, <laughs> the best contract in the NBA. But, um, yeah, and then they have Keldon Johnson, who I like him partially because, like, I'm, like, you know how you love flashy players? I love, like like thick guys <laughs> this is gonna sound wrong. I love, like, thicker basketball players because like I, I mean you guys can't see my lower body right now but i have like really like trunk like legs so i've always like i've always been like drawn to guys like that because like oh if i had like nba body i would look like Keldon yeah. Johnson. you know I what i mean you, i get you but um yeah but Keldon's like i've been kind of i mean i'm happy with some of the steps he's taken as a driver as like the like you know that in between game um, his three-point shooting has been awesome off the catch-and-shoot. Passing still has some ways to go defensively. I mean, it would be nice if he became that, like, versatile three-player that you were just envisioning they trade for. But I'm curious because, you know, he was on Team USA this summer. And, I mean, you always hear the story, like, of when D-Wade and Melo played on Team USA with Kobe Bryant, and then they had their career years afterwards. I was hoping, like, okay, Keldon Johnson, I think he might be, like, a frontrunner for most improved player of the year. I'm sure you guys thought that, too. He spent the summer with Team USA. Like, he learned from them. Like, what what gives to that guy? When's he going to take his leap? Yeah, I think, in general, Keldon's role – so, Keldon's role's changed. I remember our last show, Noah mentioned how the drives were a little bit down, uh, a lot more catch-and-shoot attempts, stuff like that. I think, with Keldon, what really started it for me, and I think why he just hasn't taken this jump is because I don't know – For one, I never really expected that, per se, because I knew what his limitations were. Especially once he puts the ball on the floor, he kind of gets a little bit of tunnel vision. uh, Really isn't a very good passer off off of drives. Uh, I always thought he was really limited offensively. Defensively, I thought it could be something. But I think overall, he's just really limited offensively. And for, for what the Spurs are playing him at at the four, he's kind of a little bit undersized there as well. I don't really know if it's like, I know you're not saying it's his fault, but kind of what the Spurs are doing, what they're asking of him, I think this is kind of the best you're going to get from Keldon Johnson. I think he's a really you know valuable piece because wherever you go as a franchise, uh, he fits no matter what you do. But I think just in general, his limitations were always here. I think they were kind of, especially to start the year, they were really, really you know focused on it because you know the Spurs are kind of all over the place. They still kind of are, but I think just in general, Keldon, he's, he's always been this kind of player. I think right now he's really playing well within this role, but I think this is the best for this is the best thing for Kelvin in my opinion yeah I mean I I really liked Keldon like I'd been doing big boards for a few years and he was like one of my first like that was one of my first drafts and I had him 17th on my big board and I thought wow like the Spurs really lucked out they passed up on him on 19 and he still fell into their laps at 29 and I'm not gonna lie like this version of Keldon right now is sort of like the high high end outcome of what I expected Keldon to become it's not that I don't think he can be better than this um, you know, he's only, what, he's like 22 years old, so it's not like he's done developing, but I hate to say this because it's going to sound bad, but he's virtually the same guy he was a year ago, but now he can shoot in a stationary position. Like, I, I know a lot of Spurs fans, especially like the analysts, like Bill Land, Sean Elliott, it's their job, they get paid by the Spurs, it's fine, like I understand it, but one thing that they always make sure to mention on every broadcast is, you know, did you know Keldon Johnson is the third best three-point you know, three shooter in the NBA, and I always think to myself, like, no, that's that's not true. He's the third most accurate three-point shooter in the NBA, but like his shot versatility isn't really there. Like he's not, you know, shooting off the dribble, he's not shooting off motion, he's not running off screens, and like he's really really good with like a catch and shoot three-pointer, but there's not really much else there. Like he's not a good mid-range shooter, doesn't have a great handle. It's not a great pl- like not a great playmaker, not a great defender. Um, you know, he fin- despite like he loves to get to the rim, right? Like you mentioned, like he's a guy who loves to bowl, get to the rim, but like he's really bad at finishing at the rim. Like in the restricted area, he's the second worst finisher on the roster, only behind Lonnie Walker, who's god awful. I mean, like if you're shooting 57% at the rim, 
that's like I, I believe I, I looked at it the other. It's almost six percentage points lower than league average. So that's what confuses me because he's got good touch on floaters, but can't seem to finish at the rim. I don't know. So I like him, but again, like just kind of feels like he's the same guy he was a year ago, but now he can shoot when he's standing still. So I don't know. Well, I, well what is your take on him? I mean, we've talked about what we thought about him, and I just don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I said it like I know this is anecdotal, but like, like I thought he was going to take the, you know, I, I hung out with really good players jump. Like I, I hung out with really good players. I learned how they work. I learned how they operate. I'm going to start playing more like a really good basketball <laughs> player. And I mean, this is kind of making me sad now because I, I really liked Kelsey Johnson. I wanted to be like, I always thought like maybe, you know, not like all-star, not sub-all-star, but like top 75 player, you know, I, I thought that was like a, a reasonable outcome for him. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess my dreams are ruined. No, I mean, I, I I don't want it to seem like I'm down on Kel. I really like Keldon. I think he's super useful. But, like, for me, I, I have a hard time envisioning him, at least, like, this version of him, which is sort of like the same version, again, that we saw a year ago. Like, I can't envision him ever receiving this much opportunity on another team. Like, he's the second leading scorer on the team. I think he gets the second or third most shot attempts per game on this team. Like, on a winning team, I, I, I don't think you can ask him to do as much as they've asked him to do. And to be honest, they haven't asked him to do that much. So I don't know. That, I guess that's where I'm hesitant with Keldon. Really like him. I think he still has some stuff to uncover off the surface. Like, But I don't know. I, I don't know where his where his like developmental track ends. And hopefully he's one of those guys who, like in a few years, I go like, oh, man, I was super wrong. I guess I didn't see X, Y, Z, and now I look like a fool. I'd rather look like a fool and he be really good in a few years than um, just be like completely pessimistic and say this is who he's always going to be. But for now, I think that's where I am. Like he, he sort of is what he is right now. Yeah, I just I think like you know it's gonna happen one of two ways where either offensively, you know, you talked about the tunnel vision and like the good thing about tunnel vision is like that like step in playmaking can be fixed. Like I don't know if the the Murray like leap from like really solid passer to like I'm making advanced reads like step can be fixed, but with Kelvin Johnson, I think you can go from like I'm really bad at making good like decent reads to I can I can see those passes now. So that's like a good thing, and then, like he, like he's strong, and like I said, if I think that's partially a mindset thing. If he can get to the rim and draw contact and ramp up that free throw, right? That's that's the easiest way, man, to become like a really efficient volume scorer. And then if he can get those free throws up, where he's shooting four or five, you know, every seventy-five possessions, like there's like there's, I don't want to say there's no reason, but there's it's really hard for me not to envision an outcome where he's like a seventeen or eighteen point per 75 like scorer on like a really good offense because like you said dame he doesn't you don't need to build an offense around him like you would with Dejounte, and he can he can kind of slot in somewhere so i think there is like hope for him to you know slot up another tier i guess in a staying in the league yeah i i think i think for me where i kind of want to take this is i love how you mentioned my point because i kind of want to go kind of with another another you know piece here is so Keldon Johnson, I mentioned how I think he's really valuable. No matter where you go as, a, as an organization, I think he fits, right? You don't need to build around him, like I mentioned. Another guy who I really like, and just, and, you know, another couple pieces is like Devin Vassell. I feel like Devin Vassell is another guy who really, no matter what you do, he fits with you as well. I, I think Yaka Pertl is another one of those guys. Uh, Josh Primo, potentially. But overall, kind of, what do you what do you see with the Spurs, you know, kind of going forward when it comes to just this organization? How would you build this team? Do you think right now, they're a team that really is one piece away, one player away. Is there is there a, a a scale here where hey, if it's going really really north or really really south, rather, we got to make some moves to kind of just blow the whole thing up? What would you say, kind of, if you were the Spurs, if you were you know the GM for a year, what would you what what would you what would you say? What would you do? Okay, so this team makes me question my like like team evaluation skills because like I look at this team again, I'm like, okay, Derek Murray, like promising young player. Um, um, excuse me. There you go, Derek Murray. Did I do it again? Derek yeah, Murray, greatest, greatest defensive player ever. <laughs> you might as well. They're, they're a backcourt <laughs> duo. We can call them that. We yeah. call Derek Murray. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> so, DeJounte Murray, like, you know, promising young, young player. Uh, Derek White, promising young player. Uh, Devin Vassell, promising young player. Josh Primo, Kelton Johnson, Jakob, like, oh, like, they have a good future. And then, like, on the paper, like, you look at their team, like, it's not, they're not, like, good. I'm gonna, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. And I, I mean, I think part of it's it's hard to evaluate this team right now because they are, I was looking through the numbers, they're like pretty unlucky with like shooting variability this year. They're on the wrong end of the stick. Teams have the, opponents have the highest three-point field goal percentage on open looks against them and any other team in the league. And that's like nothing you can do about that. They don't even allow that many, to be honest. So it's not like they're just like, you know, 
setting themselves up for it. So that's something that could right there, you know, that that's a few points per 100 possessions and that could shift you to maybe from a 20th defense in the league to like a 13th or 14th if they're like on the more fortunate end of that. So that's hard to evaluate. Um, in terms of like, where do they go next? I don't know. I've heard like, I've heard trade reports like um, Jakob Pertl's um, on the trade market, which I think is ridiculous because I was doing some, there's a formula that uh, Seth Partnow outlines in his book, The Midrange Theory, about like calculating how much a player is worth per year based on their production. And I, I was doing this for an article I'm working on, but Pertl uh, is making $8.75 million this year. But his production is that of someone who should be making $21 million a year. So, like, you need to keep that. You need to keep that. You know, you don't get those kind of contracts. I really like the, uh, Derek White if you're, like, as, like, a, a third option offensively and a really good offense. I like Kelvin Johnson's off-ball value. Um, you guys talked about Devin Vassell. Jackson Frank also wrote about him, so I'm high on him. I hear Primo is supposed to be this, like, advantage-creating god. So, I mean, you want to keep him, I guess, like, it's weird, but unless you're banking on, like, continuity, uh, I mean, the most logical move would be to trade, you know, your all-star, wouldn't it be? Oh, my, hey. Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough one. Um, I would, I, you know, to be honest, I would never suggest that, mostly because I'm not I suggesting wanna... it. I'm just, I'm just thinking it through yeah. right now. If you have to do like, something, logically, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess so. I don't. I see I don't I don't know. I think it's really complicated with this team because they have a lot of those pieces that like you can like envision being part of a championship team, exactly. but I don't know that they all fit together. And, and I've said this for a few years and, and Dame knows this before we even started this podcast. I've been on the train that like you've drafted so many like similarly sized players from that like 6-4 to 6-5 range that like you can't keep everybody. Not everybody can stay here like eventually if you want to get minutes for Josh Primo like, you know, Lonnie Walker's got to go, but then the Spurs went this offseason and doubled down, and not only did they draft Josh Primo, but they drafted Joe Wieskamp, and then they re-signed Bryn Forbes. So it was like, okay, now you've moved Bryn Forbes before the trade deadline, but you know Lonnie Walker's still here. You know he's still getting twenty minutes, and I don't know if the Spurs' idea is like, I have no idea. You know they they're not super forthcoming about what their plans are, and that's fine. But like it seems like they just go BPA, and the BPA just in their range so happens to be a guard most years. So I don't know. It's like, a, it's a weird predicament to be in, but I really think like we mentioned earlier, if they can somehow figure out a way to move just like one or two of these guys and keep the most important of them, like for me, I don't know about you, Dame, but like the only guys who I probably wouldn't move at this point are, are DeJounte, Primo, Vassell, Keldon and, and Jakob. And that's it. Like everybody else I'm fine to move. Like I know they just signed Doug McDermott, but I'm fine if they wanted to move away from it. I know they need three-point shooting, but it just seems like this team is in such an awkward situation that I don't know how it unfolds unless they get like really lucky in the lottery. Yeah, so Noah's been, been on record before talking about how you don't want to be the Orlando Magic from a couple years ago. The funny thing is the Spurs are kind of like the Orlando Magic of not of teams that don't make the playoffs right now because they're not bad enough to be top three consideration you know, obviously there's a chance, but you know they're not a bottom three team, but they're also not good enough to make the play-in or the playoffs. So they're in this really weird spot where I think right now, like I agree with Noah, Primo. I don't think you would you should move him uh, just because well, no matter where you go, that's kind of my mindset is no matter where you go as an organization, you want guys that fit no matter what you do. So Primo's that guy for me. Vassell's that guy. Kelton can be that guy. Uh, Pirtle as well. But when it comes to Dejounte, I've told Noah this. I believe I have that like. If hypothetically there is a time to trade your best player, oh. it's, it's right now. I'm not saying to do it. I'm not saying to do it. No, I, I know, I know, I know. But if there is a time, <laughs> he's, he's right. Yeah, if there is a time right now, is the time to do it. If you're looking to say, hey, we're gonna embrace this rebuild, and we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna get some assets. Not the OKC rebuild where they're just being terrible for years. Of course, you're gonna sign other players and this, that, and the third. But if there is a time, it's right now. I don't think they would. I'm not. I'm not gonna say I would either. But um, I just think overall, right now, this organization just needs to. I think, and what they did do is this. But they just need to realize, okay, who's gonna be here next year and the year after? Who actually fits, no matter where we go as an organization, whether it's draft, free agency? Who can we count on being here that actually can produce, no matter where we go? And so that's kind of just my whole my whole point is. I think this is kind of where the Spurs are at. I think this is the likeliest route they take, and. Uh, 
Yeah, man. This this team is this team is all over the place. I mean, it really, really is. They're they're not in in a great spot right now. You know, unlike what some people would say. <laughs> no, and um, like it's funny you mentioned that, Dame, because like you kind of said it yourself, Noah. Like, um, Dejounte Murray. This is like the best. Like, this might be like the best he's gonna get. He's about to get his first All Star game. Like, he's so good, and we haven't seen Ben Simmons in so long that like we're starting to believe that he might actually be better at basketball than Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? Like that's how high his value is right now. And not to like, that's not a knock on either one of them. I wouldn't do it. Like, like you said, Noah, I don't think you, you think that Dame, but like, it just, I mean, it makes sense. But um, you said something, Noah, that really like, it really resonated with me. And it's like, this team has a lot of good pieces, but I don't know if they all fit. And it kind of reminds me of the Toronto Raptors. I know I used that analogy earlier, but like, it's really like that. Like <laughs> yeah. where it's like, I like precious a lot. I don't know if he fits with this team. And then they have, like, their one point guard who's, like, massively outperforming expectations. That's, like, the darling of the Eastern Conference, how DeJounte is with the West. So, I mean, it is, like, a weird predicament for sure. And I guess, I, I don't, uh, man, I feel, I don't want to, like, pile on to, like, this, you know, is DeJounte better than, than Benson? But, like, in a world, and obviously we're not living in this world, we're living in our world right now. But, like, in a world where, like, Kawhi Leonard is healthy and Paul George is healthy and Jamal Murray is healthy, like... Does DeJounte, like, does he get in, like, to the All-Star game in, in, like, a normal year with the Spurs being this bad? Like, my, my feeling is probably no. Like, he one, he got unlucky because Andrew Wiggins is a starter. I don't think he would have even been a reserve if you had let it come down to the coaches. And we've talked about how I, – I don't know how you fix the, the fan voting other than continue to downscale how much they're worth, but – I don't know. I, I love DeJounte. I don't I wouldn't want to trade him. I guess it, there's like part of me that I've watched him be here like from 2016. He gets here. He's the 29th overall pick. There were, you know, rumors that there were character issues and there was potentially like gang related issues with him. And it like scared teams and like that ended up not being true. And he ended up going from a guy who, you know, he didn't have a reliable jump shot off the dribble. He didn't make basic reads. He turned the ball over a lot. Guys were able to pick his pocket. He mostly played off ball didn't have, you know, any, not even like a reliable or even like passable three-point jumper. And now we're to the point where like he's an all-star caliber player and he sort of fits the mold of like everything that the Spurs preach, like, you know, homegrown talent, you know, put in hard work, ha be a good person. Like, I know that those are like kind of like Homer things to say, but that's what would make it so hard for me to like want to move on from DeJounte because like as an organization that pretty much everybody you've had here who's been important has been homegrown. And I don't know that the optics would look pretty bad if you just, you know, all right, see ya. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not saying that it's not the right <laughs> no, thing to do, but the optics, I think, Grant are bad. Detroit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's just uh, it's it is a weird situation for the Spurs. I hope that it's it's one that they figure out because, like, a few years ago, I think we were at the point where we're like, okay, is this as good as Dejounte gets? Like. You know, he's he's fine. You know, I, I don't think he's going to be a star. And then it's like every year he comes back and he's like, well, you know, screw you. I just got, you know, I added this to my tool bag or I added that. And it's like, I, I think, again, I, I continue to make this assumption that like this is kind of as good as it gets. But I also have the FOMO of like, what if you get rid of him and he ends up, you know, he takes another step or two and then he could be really important. But I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is it's just a really tough predicament to be in. Uh, and I'm glad I'm not in a front office because I would not be good at making these sort of decisions. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Pirtle time, man. I think I think it's time to talk about Jakob Pirtle. <laughs> so I think – Please. I think, no, please. So, Matt, I, as I understand it, you have a piece on Jakob coming out um, this weekend, and I think it's only appropriate that we get to kind of talk about our guy, Jakob Pirtle. So for the fan base, you know, it can be pretty polarizing. A lot of times people are up and down. They don't like the free throw shooting. They know he's limited offensively. A lot of a lot of people think he can be a, a, you know, a starting center on a competitive team, but some think they can't. Personally, me and Noah see a guy that can anchor a defense with his rim protection and you know contribute enough on the other end to stay on the floor. So, where do you stand on Jakob? Uh, where do you think he fits in the modern NBA? And you, do you think he could be San Antonio's long-term option at center going forward? Yeah, no. I mean, I am. I mean, again, usually like when I'm just finished writing on somebody, I'm like as high as I'll ever be on them because I've spent so much time with them that it's like I'm like their friend. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. Pirtle, like, <laughs> blimped on my uh, radar last year. I remember I would always look at, like, Raptor War. I was going through a huge Raptor phase, not the Toronto one. But, um, yeah. and I noticed, like, 
I started noticing in every like defensive metric, not just Raptor, that it was like Rudy Gobert, um, and then all the way down like Clint Capella, and then Jakob Pertl. I'm like, okay, time out. What like what's going on here? Like, I, I understand the Clint Capella thing. Like he was getting coached up really well. They were having a good second half of the season. The numbers were starting to look good. And then I just keep seeing Jakob Pertl everywhere. And I studied <laughs> um, Tim Duncan a lot in the summer for the quest for the best, and I and David Robinson as well. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's just like a pop thing. Like Coach Pop just is really good at coaching centers up and making them really good defenders. Same thing happened with Aldridge a couple of years ago. And I start watching this guy, and um, Steph No wrote about him a couple of weeks ago. He wrote really well about him, about how like how he's just so smart about staying near the paint, and all the all-time great rim protectors do that. Hakeem, Tim Duncan, Dave Robinson, they all stay near the paint, so it's doesn't take that much of a rotation for them to come in there and contest shots. He's incredible at that. I think teams players shoot like eight percent worse than their regular field goal percentage against him on those type of shots. And then he's pretty mobile. He can. They've been doing it a lot more this year, where they have him switch out on smaller guys, and he can keep him in front of him. He's he's kind of, I don't want to say ballet, but he's like pretty graceful. And then offensively, people say like he inhibits their offense. I was looking at this yesterday, and I was like semi flabbergasted. But the, in the half court, the Spurs are 13 points better with Jakobertel on the floor, and that's the 98th percentile for bigs. Like that's awesome, man. <laughs> So I, I don't see where the – and he's, like, the perfect player for a guy like DeJounte, a guy like Derek White, who loves to run those pick and rolls and hit that pocket pass because he hits that push shot like nobody else. And he's solid around the rim. I know the free throws are, you know, it's, like, disgusting. Like, I had to rewind it the first time I really noticed it because I was like, <laughs> is this guy serious? Like, you know what I mean? But, no, I, I love the hell out of him. As much as you could love a basketball player, I love him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when it comes to Jakob, I think he actually, he, I think he should be this, you know, the long term answer at center. I think once you pair him with someone in, in, at the four that can really kind of space the floor mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, again, my guy like PJ Washington or a John Collins, if you wanted to trade for him, I think that would actually fit really, really well. I think he's, I think he's really undervalued. I think he's really underrated. I mean, people are kind of starting to come around to him now, but I think overall, like you mentioned. Not only is he a steal when it comes to the contract, he's making under $9 million this year, uh, but he fits really, really well with this team. Uh, he really cleans up a lot of a lot of, of the Spurs' defensive issues, although they're the 20th best defense. I think he, he does a little bit of everything for you. Um, although he's limited, right, he doesn't really have much of an offensive game. He he fits. like He works well within that role. Similarly, how I was talking about Kelvin Johnson, who he has a little bit of tunnel vision, but he works well within what the Spurs are asking of him. And for a player like that, I think that holds a lot of value, especially for a team like the Spurs that really don't have, you know, that that core piece, you know, of the puzzle right now. They want to get guys that can really just fit and, and work together. And I think Yaka Pirtle fits. And I agree with you, man. I think I think Yaka Pirtle is is an exceptional talent. Uh, I've told Noah on our last podcast there are times where I think he's the most valuable spur. Uh, Noah said I was a little bit crazy for that. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say yeah. that. There are definitely times where where I come away from watching him and I say. Yeah, he's definitely the most valuable player on the floor tonight. Uh, but Noah tends to, you know, sometimes Noah tells me I'm crazy, so it is what it is. But, uh, Noah, I'd love to get your opinion on this, brother. I, th- I think I'm still, like, in the camp that DeJounte is probably the most important player on the roster just because he does so much. Like, the, the offense goes because of him, and they run everything through him. And I don't, like, I, I think, I, I can't remember where I saw it, but when DeJounte Murray's on the floor, they have the same net rating as the Denver Nuggets, which it's not like the Denver Nuggets are world beaters, but that's a playoff team. And so I feel like it's probably the same case for Jakob Pertl. I haven't seen the numbers there, so I'm sure it is. I mean, he's very impactful, but I guess I'll try to be positive here. And, and, and I think when I, when I look at fans on Twitter, and I, I think like fans on Twitter versus like people who are, who are like writing about the game or their analysts or their broadcasters, whatever, they, they see different things. But the number one complaint I see about Jakob Pertl is like, Oh, well, he never dunks. He's just so soft. Like, if he could only be like Drew Eubanks. Like, Drew Eubanks tries to dunk the ball every time. And, like, if that's what Jakob Pertl could do, he would be so much more valuable. And I think, like, I don't know if they're watching the same game I am, but, like, Drew Eubanks is just, like, again, friend of the podcast, really nice guy, fantastic human being, but, like, pretty clearly is just, like, a depth insurance level center, like a replacement level center. He's not, like, a world beater. He finishes at a worse rate around the rim than... DeJounte Murray, which, like, that's not good if your center's finishing worse at the rim than your point guard. And I look at Jakob Pertl, and he's a guy who ranks in the 84th percentile in finishers around the rim in the NBA. Like, 72.5% of his shots, he finishes at the rim. He's excellent at that little push shot that you're talking about on runners, I believe. He has the second most points 
in, in the NBA maybe this season. I, I was looking at Synergy earlier, so I could be wrong, but second most points on floaters this year. I mean, like, he is a valuable player. You know, first in shots contested, ninth in blocks, second in offensive rebounds, third in screen assists, eighth in passes made, sixth in field goal percentage, and he leads the, the, the Spurs in net rating. So, like, I don't know how people walk away from a game with their number one takeaway being, like, this guy needs to dunk more. Because I think like that's probably the last thing he needs to get better at. Because he's honestly he brings a lot to the table for this team. And to fans that like think like is like he's limiting them offensively, I give you this. How about you know we talked a lot about the Hornets and Lamelo Ball, but you know which center on the Hornets is having a really good offensive year and is not as good of an offensive player as Jakob Pertl? Miles Plumley. Excuse me, Mason Plumley. Miles Plumley's at home playing Fortnite. But um, <laughs> um, Mason Plumley's having an incredible year. Uh, incredible year. He's and Pirtle is just as good of a passer. He's a better scorer because of that push shot. He's probably a better screener. He's a little bit more sturdy. I know that's like anecdotal, but to me, he looks a little bit more sturdy. And then defensively, Plumley doesn't. Plumley doesn't uh, like what's the word? What's the the cliche? He doesn't stick a finger to uh, what Pirtle's doing back there. I don't even know. But you guys know <laughs> what I'm saying. Pirtle's like a really good defender. One of maybe the five or six best defensive centers, and Plumley's like. Slightly below average in that category, you know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. And they have an incredible offensive machine with Plumley, so it's definitely something you could do with Pirtle. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of value for a guy in Pirtle that, like I mentioned, and like the Spurs, just overall with some of these players, they fit very well within their role. They're really, really good. You know, this organization, the staff, really plays a lot of these players to their strengths, and Pirtle's one of those guys. So when I when I, I, I like I see it, obviously, like he's not Joel Embiid offensively, right? But within his role, what you ask of him, oh, he's very valuable, and he fits very well. And I just went on a tangent 20 minutes ago talking about how you need to get guys you know, that fit no matter where you go, and Pirtle's that guy. So, Yako Pirtle fan over here as well. <laughs> I like him, and I think he's very valuable as well, uh, and I'll kick it to Noah one more time. I also wanted to just bring up, like, I, I host these Spurs spaces on Twitter probably, like, every couple of days just to interact with fans and other media members or whatever, and... One of the fans I brought on there, I wish I remembered their name at the time. I believe it was Jesse Blanchard. But he said that Jakob Pertl is basically the perfect, like, realized version of the, of the Greg Popovich big. Like, you've got, you know, a Fabrizio Berto who evolves into Rasha Nesterovic who evolves into Tiago Splitter. And then, like, the, you know, the final evolution is, is Jakob Pertl. Like, San Antonio <laughs> always finds these guys and helps develop these guys and helps them realize, like, the most of their talent. And I, and I think that's like kind of fair. I think he's like the perfect version of the, of the Greg Popovich big. Obviously, like Tim Duncan is the perfect version of that, but like the non-star big, the sort of like ancillary big. But I, I, I really, really like him. I agree with you when you said like I, I probably would not trade Jakob Pertl. It would have to be a pretty tremendous value. I think you mentioned what his, his like estimated contract value was like $21 million, but he's making $8 million this year. I mean, you can't – you don't get a better value than that. They still have him under contract for another couple of years, so – Love Jakob Pertl. I just think a lot of the things that he does, whether it's the screening, whether it's the push shot, whether it's finishing at the rim, whether it's, you know, defending the rim, like he, he does a lot. And I, I don't know that everybody realizes that. So just just a phenomenal player. I hope he's here for the long haul. But, you know, again, like they can't keep everybody. Maybe they, they, they make some moves, but I hope he's not one of them who's gone. But, um, yeah, I, I guess my last question I had for you, Matt, here is, like I saw that in the notes, we have notes for the podcast, and one of the things that you had sort of written down was like, you know, they have the Murray, they have White, they have Pirtle, but you know, the defense is bad. So, you know, like what gives? And I guess I wanted to ask Dame and you, like, when you watched, what is you like, what is the problem for for the Spurs in your opinion? Like when you're watching the game, because like you mentioned, some of it's luck, but it can't all be luck. Like some of it has to be on what the Spurs are doing. So despite these three guys, like, what's the problem? I guess, like, since I'm the one answering the question, like, I don't have as many answers as I should, but the first thing that did pop out to me was, and this is one of those things where I saw it on film, and then I looked at it statistically, like, I'm like, okay, these guys are just, teams just hit a lot more open threes, like, everyone has their best day against this team for some reason, and that shows up in the stats, but another thing, uh, we mentioned, like, DeJounte, and how, like, announcers will say, like, oh, they love switching him on these bigger guys, and it's, probably because like Doug McDermott's out there at the four and like, you know, Doug McDermott's improved as a defender. He's a coach's son. I'm sure he knows all the fundamentals, but like, he's not, he's not a good NBA defender. I don't know how to slice it. You know what I mean? So that's why guys like DeJounte Murray get put in these compromising positions. So I would say like that three, four spot, they don't have 
the personnel there. And I mean, you guys have mentioned that there are breakdowns at the point of attack. I think DeJounte Murray sometimes is punching above his weight class with the offensive load he has to carry. And then on defense, try to anchor the point of attack at times. And they do love like, cause they have that bounty of like six, four, six, five guys. There is maybe a little too many three guard lineups out there that are not really conducive to good defense. Yeah, I I echo all of that too. I just think in general, like the the three and four spot for me is just like it seems like in the modern NBA you need to have versatility as, as you know both of those spots specifically. But if you're not gonna have it, you know on both, you need to have at least one. And the Spurs just don't have that. Uh, I think right now that that's kind of what really hurts them is just they're just not very versatile on the defensive end. And I mean other teams are gonna attack that all day all night. When I was over there against Memphis, uh, when the Spurs played Memphis, I mean, John Morant's coming off a screen. I'm, obviously, he's a great player, right? We know this. But, I mean, th- when he when you can put real pressure uh, on the Spurs, like on, especially like in drop coverage, oh, yeah, no, it's it's a rough night. Like, it's a long night. You know what I mean? So, I think just overall, the Spurs, they just really lack versatility, man. I think that's what really, really bothers them. Because overall, like we've mentioned several times, there's a lot of guards out there. There's a lot of three-guard lineups. There's a lot of six four six five guys just really don't have a lot of versatility on that end of the floor. Yeah, and I guess like the last thing that I'll mention, I at least something that stuck out to me, and it's something that Jesus Gomez from our website, Pounding the Rock, pointed out, was the drop coverage defense hasn't really worked, I guess, in the way that you would hope it would. Like you've got a guy like DeJounte and another guy like Derek who you would expect to be like pretty good in that regard, helping Yaka Pirtle, but they've both been like pretty, at least from the clips that I watched and, and from the film that I've seen throughout the season watching the games, they've both been like, pretty bad at fighting around screens and like pretty often they leave Yaka Pirtle to guard two guys at once which I mean like he's mobile like you said he's he's more mobile than most he's got good feet but like that's a really hard ask and they funnel almost everything to Yaka Pirtle anyways like they they have the second most shots allowed at the rim in the NBA this season and even though they hold you know they hold opponents to I think 61% at the rim which is like second best in the NBA that's still pretty efficient. Like if you're shooting like 61% for a game, like most of your <laughs> shots are coming at the rim. Like that's still pretty efficient, even though like comparatively to the rest of the league, it's not. Yeah. And I, I have this, like, it's not really a theory. I mean, like it can be proved by like basic, basic math, but like if like P- teams who get to the rim a lot probably do have lower like rim percentages because like you're taking more of them. You know what I mean? It's just a larger sample size and it's harder to, you'll, you'll always have a lower percentage in a larger sample size, you know? Yeah, no, 100%, 100%, and, and, like, I think that, that makes a lot of sense for the Spurs, but I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it. I think the solution is they've got to find that 3-4, whether it's through the draft, and we'll save that for another time, but, you know, whether it's through the draft, through free agency, through a trade, I think those are some really important things that they've absolutely got to find. But I'll go ahead and let Dame close us out here and, and, uh, and, and give you the floor. Yeah, brother, so, you know, that is about that just about does it from us. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on, bro. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I know you're a Lions fan, and I'm out here in Mobile, so if I see Dan Campbell, <laughs> I'll holler at him for you, bro. I promise I got you. Uh, but why don't you why don't you go ahead and just plug anything you want, bro? Let the Spurs fans know where they can follow you uh, and just everything that you got going on, bro. Let the let the listeners know. No, I mean, thank you so much, guys. You know, it's fun. You spend so much time, like, researching. I'm sure both of you do this with your writing where you just sit there. And you don't talk to anybody for a while. And you just have all these <laughs> thoughts that you never get to share with anybody because you're not sure anybody's reading your work. But, um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Mattisa15. It's at M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. And then, you know, you can follow the work I do for Basketball News, The Analyst, um, Forbes, Rise Network, wherever. I write everywhere. So, yeah, just talk about basketball. Awesome, man. Thanks again for joining us, and thanks to everybody who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team, the best statistics, the most interesting stories. So go ahead and check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.